Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. They picked my grandmother. They stripped her. So uh, she was just like a little baby, just skin and bone. And she was thrown onto the car wheeled outside and thrown on the pile of corpses. All our episodes are special to us, um, but I think this week's episode is particularly special, mainly because we got to hear from Tommy Reichenthal, who is a Holocaust survivor. Yeah, I mean, I think it's possibly one of the most emotional episodes Mm -hmm. of the podcast, primarily because while we've talked to a lot of people who've lost several members mm. of their family or their friends close to them this is grief on a huge scale yeah. and it's grief from quite a few years ago that has only it sounds manifested itself now well this is the thing so Tommy didn't speak about it for over 50 years and then he decided that he wanted how important it was to talk about his experience one because this could happen again and he mm-hmm. speaks about that in the very beginning of the podcast. And also because there are people that don't believe that the Holocaust happened. And he thinks it's extremely important that he can tell his story and make people believe that this, I want to say tragedy, beyond tragedy, atrocity, atrocity mm. took place. I think the thing that struck me the most about Tommy, and it's actually stayed with me for days and days and days, was I think, Venetia, you asked him something about empathy for people who have lost someone in small in smaller circumstances than the ones he's been in. And he's actually overflowing with empathy for people who have all kinds of different loss. Even he was talking about the families in California whose houses burned down and how mm. that made him cry. Mm. Um, it hasn't hardened him. I, I find that fascinating yeah. because sometimes I think about somebody was talking about something the other day and I went, I felt hardened to it. I yeah. know I sort of, yeah, yeah, but still it's only a building. I didn't feel the same devastation they were feeling. Yeah. But He's such an incredible person because Mm. just even the way he he fears for our future, Mm. um, the way he talks about his grandmother Mm. and his family members. And it's like as if it was yesterday for him. Yeah, he has such a, I mean, and and it's hard, it's hard to imagine ever being in anything like a circumstance like that at all. Tommy was just about to head off um, to to meet some people because he is um, being honoured. The Bar of Ireland Human Rights Award will be presented to him on the 28th of November, which he so rightly 
deserves. deserves. And he's so thrilled. Yeah, he's so thrilled, which was amazing. Um, And we didn't get to talk about it very much, but Tommy's also featured in an extraordinary 2017 documentary called Condemned to Remember and all the details of um, his life pre and post war Mm. in that. Um, We mentioned that there's multiple books. There's so much to learn from him. I think you and I wanted to talk to him for hours and hours, but he's a very busy man. He is, but he's well able to talk. He is. As you'll um, find out. All we can say is, is thanks for um, giving us his time. Today is a truly special episode of the podcast as we're joined in studio by Tommy Reichenthal, whose personal story is inspirational, it's emotional, but more than all, a story that's incredibly important to tell. Tommy, first of all, you're very welcome. And um, I think both Sash and I would like to say thank you uh, for coming in. Um, Thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. You're one of the only Holocaust survivors uh, to have settled in Ireland after being liberated from Bergen-Belsen concentration camp in 1945. In 2019, how does that part of your life seem to you now? Well, uh, unfortunately, uh, at the moment, when we look around what is happening in Europe and other places, uh, I'm looking at it as a repeat of the uh, history, Mm -hmm. because in the late 1930s, when the Jews wanted to escape Europe with the fascism, the Nazis were coming uh, to power and they were good sign that uh, not uh, for the Jewish people, the future is not very bright. Nobody wanted them. And today we see something similar, which is happening with the refugees mm. and they looking for sanctuary because they also escaping mm. persecution, rape, mm. murder, and nobody wants them either. So mm. for me, uh, this is now very important when I'm speaking about the Holocaust, uh, especially to young people, uh, to mm. teach them. We have to be very careful. The history doesn't repeat mm. itself. It's only need somebody uh, mad again, and they can incite uh, population. Mm. And unfortunately, which is very sad, we're seeing it here in Ireland. Just yeah, uh, yeah, uh, lately, people openly were marching on the street and uh, refusing. And there was a couple here, as you yes, know, yeah. and that had to have oh. to go to London uh, because they got so much abuse and threats mm. against the children. So I think today, t- teaching the young generation about the Holocaust is so Mm. important, more than ever before. And that's uh, why it's for me, Mm. it's uh, very important uh, that as many people uh, hear my story and I'm delighted that you invited me because the media is of course the best way uh, to spread the message. And uh, when people see something like us, when they see bullying, racism, 
They shouldn't become bystanders. They should say loudly and clearly, we don't want this. We have to stop this. Because Holocaust did not start with gas chamber. Holocaust started with whisper, uh, first persecution, and finally murder. You know, you say at the end of the book, people were asking why, so many people, why did this happen? And the answer was, was hate, like this did happen. Like well, it, 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 it's something, uh, not on the end of the book I'm mm. saying, it, but I, I made three documentary films. And in one of the films, we were in Belgian Belgium and I'm uh, standing there and looking through this huge window facing the, where the camp stood. And I ask myself, why? I haven't got the answer. And I don't think, uh, you know, there are many answers, mm. but there are no answers. Antisemitism today exists as uh, it always existed, and it's growing. So why? I just can't understand. I mean, in the past, uh, for example, in my own country, I was born in Slovakia, they blamed the Jews for everything uh, that was going wrong, you know, about 90,000 Jews living in Slovakia. Today, there are just 300. <laughs> they still want to uh, yeah. blame the Jews yeah. for what happened. Why is there anti-Semitism? Mm. What are we doing that people hate the Jews? Mm. I can't, still today, uh, I can understand most of the people that hate Jews never met a Jew, <laughs> never mind to, to, to mm. hating them. And yet they're spreading these this, uh, false beliefs, where they get it, why they get it, mm. where they learn this, it puzzles mm. me still. You were talking there a few minutes ago at the start and then going back to Bergen-Belsen. Where did your story start? Where did this journey of hardship and grief and destruction of your life start? Well, it started in my childhood in Slovakia. Um, of course, uh, in Slovakia, the first uh, laws, racial laws, which were introduced in Slovakia, I was in 1939. And it was the Jewish Codex. Mm. It had 270 paragraphs restricting the Jews in various ways. I, I, I can mention several of them. First of all, we had to wear a yellow star on the left side from the age of five, whenever we got out of the house. We were not allowed to go to national school. We were not allowed to go to public places like cinema, theatre, swimming pool, public park. We were not allowed to uh, walk. We were sacked from jobs. Even silly restrictions like we were not allowed to cycle. We were not allowed to drive a car. We had to be at certain time in the evening in our houses. A lot of silly restrictions. But there were also restrictions like people that had money in the bank. They were only able to take so much per week or per month. And then with time, they reduced and reduced till they made us uh, dependent on the state. And then they were shouting, uh, here, uh, 
we have to support these people. They are parasites in our country. They are not working because they were sucked for job. They created the yeah, misery, and then they blamed us for for this. But of course, I didn't know anything about this. I was only a, a little boy, mm-hmm. four or five years old. But as the time went on, uh, it, as I said, that uh, this these laws were introduced in 1941 in September, and uh, I started at the time school in the village, uh, but it was a national school, so I was kicked out. I didn't even know why mm. I was kicked out of the school, and I had to go to the neighboring town. Now, in the village. I didn't know about anything mm. what was happening to the Jewish people for the simple reason that parents didn't tell me what they're going to tell five, six-year-old boy that we are persecuted. Mm. So they kept it from me. I didn't know the children, the really children, they played with me. I didn't feel any mm. discrimination. I didn't wear the yellow star because everybody knew us and there was no police to enforce the law. But when I come to the town, of course, and there were several Jewish schools, there was uh, quite a large uh, Jewish community, everybody had to wear the yellow star because police was all around and if the Jewish people come out of the area and didn't wear the yellow star, they would have been arrested, punished very severely. And I remember at the time, my aunt was uh, sewing the star and I said, uh, what is that for? And she said, ah, it's nothing, it's, we are Jewish, we have to wear the yellow star. And I, I didn't even ask why, you mm. know. The innocence at the time, today a six-year-old here in Ireland, not only knows what is happening in Ireland, they know <laughs> what is happening all they over do. the world, you know. They, they can tell you they've, they've, a plane fell in America yeah. or something, some tragedy happened, they come mm. home and they tell you about it. I didn't know what was happening beyond the village, you know. We didn't know about these things. We didn't have any television or internet or anything like that. When I went to school, in the first two or three days, my aunt would come with me, and the school, because the Jewish uh, people lived in certain parts of the community hall, the school, the Mm -hmm. synagogue was very near. I think the school was about 300 yards from where we lived. So she came with me two or three times. I was uh, six years old at the time, and she said, you know where the school is, you can go on your own. And that was the day that I discovered that I'm different to other children mm. because I had the yellow star. And when children were standing on a corner of the street without the yellow star, obviously Gentile, they started to shout at me, mm. you dirty Jew, you smelly Jew, go to Palestine, and all kind of insult that I can't even mention. Mm. And that went for me. It started as the time went on. They were more aggressive. They would try to spit at me and 
throw stone after me. I used to run to the school, and when I saw uh, children on the left side, I would run mm. to the right side mm. so that they don't catch me. Were you but scared? But they did. They were scared. You I must was have been scared. very scared. And, yeah. all, and uh, I used to come home to my aunt. I don't want to go to school. I'm being uh, uh, abused mm. on the way and everything. So that was the start mm. when I realized. I'm different to the other people. I couldn't understand. Why do they hate me? What did I do? I never harmed anybody. So you and your family ended up in Bergen-Belsen. How many members of your family were there and how many did you lose? There were two phases of deportation from Slovakia because uh, Slovakia was an independent state, but it was very sympathetic. Uh, to the Nazi regime in Germany, while rest of Europe, like France, Belgium, mm. Holland, and all the rest of Europe was being occupied by German army, Slovakia, in fact, was not occupied because there was a lot of uh, uh, cooperation between the countries. When the war broke out, Slovakia was very useful to the Germans because uh, it Mm. broke out, of course, on the Polish border. So through Slovakia, they would uh, transport the manpower, the ammunition, Mm. the heavy equipment, the tank and guns from Germany uh, to the Polish border. The deportation started from Slovakia in March 1942. During this time, Slovakia had altogether between 85 to 90,000 Jews. But during this uh, first phase, about 58,000 were deported out of the 90,000. According to the statistic, only between 280 and 500 survived. Rest of them all perished in the Holocaust. During this time, about 30 members of my family were taken away. These were uncle, aunt, uh, my grandparents from my father's side, cousin that I knew. They used to Mm. come to the annual holiday to the village. We used to play. I knew them all. Also the uncle and aunt. These people, I knew them, even though I was only a, a little boy. And we still in the family. Well, there are not many now mm. left of us. My, my cousin that was with me in the uh, concentration camp, she died this year. Mm. Uh, so there is only my brother and myself that, uh, thank God, we're mm. still uh, doing well. But um, we still speak about these people like we know them, we like they are among yeah. us. Yeah. One day we said goodbye to them. Sometimes we didn't even cry, mm. just said, Everything will be all right. When it's all over, we will be reunited. But we never saw How them again. How do you grieve for somebody when you say goodbye to somebody and then you don't know if you're ever going to see them well, again? Well, at the time, we didn't know. Yeah. I mean, it took very long time till actually we found out, not, not myself, kids, we didn't because we were not told, but the adult among us, it took long time because in the cinema there was propaganda showing the Jews walking and doing their laundry, playing uh, football and sport, and, and they said they're doing very well, and we believed it. But when they were taken away, it was only a matter of 
couple of days. Yeah. They were gone. Mm. And not only this, these people had opportunity to write a postcard. And many of them were told, put the date in months advance, you know. And there was a very clever way how these people send the message what is happening yeah. because we didn't know and they would write I'm going to see my grandfather tomorrow and we will be reunited. Now the people home suddenly said grandfather he's dead for the last 20 years and she said we will mm. be reunited. So Pitom there yeah. were all kind yeah. of um, ways signal like and people began mm. to realize what they're trying to say that mm. tomorrow we are going to yeah. be killed we will be reunited with the dead but at the time we were not taken away because specifically people that were not useful to the Slovak economy were being arrested and that was done not by German because Slovakia was not occupied by Germany. That was done by the Slovak police and then they were passed to the German and of course German mm. exterminated them. And uh, at the time uh, we didn't know but because my father was a farmer he was useful to the economy and therefore we got a document that for the time being we shouldn't be taken away. And that's why we were not taken away in this first phase. But then on the 29th of August 1944, there was an uprising in Slovakia because people hated the regime. The Slovak people as well uh, suffered under this regime. Anybody mm. that didn't belong to the party was discriminated against. Anybody that spread any rumor against mm -hmm. the government uh, was arrested, sometimes never seen again. So people hated the Slovak regime. They hated Joseph Tiso, who was the president. He was actually a, a priest, mm -hmm. that uh, what he was doing. And um, uh, therefore, uh, the uprising, many soldiers joined the uprising, police joined the uprising. So Tiso had no power to suppress this uprising. Mm -hmm. And that's why in August 1944, for the first time, the German army occupied mm -hmm. Slovakia. Not because they wanted to occupy the country, but because they wanted to save their friendly Tiso regime, which they of mm. course succeeded, and unfortunately, after the uprising, which lasted about three weeks, thousands of Slovak uh, young men and women died in this uprising. Unfortunately, with the German army units of Adolf Eichmann arrived. Adolf Eichmann, you might know, mm. he was the man that organized the transport to the extermination camp. It was the Gestapo. And we knew that no document will help he us said, now. Mm. And we decided to leave the village because even though most of them, they were good people, but police and the Gestapo got together, they become very efficient. They put spies in villages and town 
despite on the remaining 25-30,000 Jews that were still in Slovakia. And it was only a matter of time that somebody will betray us. So the decision was made that we leave the village and we go to live in another place where nobody knew us, pretending that we were Gentiles. It was actually a priest in the village who was a very good man that provided us with false paper and even taught us, my brother and myself, a little bit about the Catholic religion, how to uh, Mm. uh, pray and Mm. uh, the prayers in the school we had to learn, how to cross ourselves, how to make a grace about the station on the cross, and all these little things, the holidays in the uh, Catholic calendar. At the time, if somebody would have reported on him, what he was doing, Mm. that he was teaching us, and that he gave us a false paper, he wouldn't have been put on trial or anything. He would have been put to the wall and shot. Mm. I mean, it was such a crime. Mm. So it was very heroic of this Mm. priest to do what he did for us. In actual fact, I went to Slovakia about 40 years later. He died in 1967. And I went to the grave, and in my own way, I thanked him what he did for us, oh. even though in the end it didn't save us. But he yeah. did it. It was yeah. such a heroic yeah. uh, thing. So anyway, uh, unfortunately, with all our false documents and everything, first of all, my father was betrayed by a local man. Mm. and was taken away. We were still in Bratislava and we suddenly got a postcard from my father. There were four words, I'm alive, don't worry. We didn't know where it came from, what happened to him, but thankfully he did survive. After the war we were reunited. We thought we will never see him again. He of course thought he will not see us again. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 
If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving. How long was it between when you when you saw him? How long was it? Only only several days, maybe yeah. a week, uh, yeah. week, two weeks. We were betrayed as well yeah. in Bratislava. We were arrested by the Gestapo and then taken to detention camp in Slovakia, where we stood for selection. I don't know if you know mm. what happened at this selection. Mm. It was a very cruel way how families were separated. I remember it was on the 2nd of November uh, 1944 that we were called on a roll call. Of, there were about 300 odd people and family by family were called from of this high-ranking uh, officer. His name was Alios Brunner. He escaped after the war to Syria, and uh, Syria kept him because of the situation in the Middle East. The German wanted to put him on trial for crime against humanity. They didn't succeed. So he lived out his yes. life. He died in the uh, year 2000. But he was a god that decided who is going to live and mm. who is going to die. At the time, there were... 13 of us arrested uh, all family members, my aunt, uncle, two cousins, my grandmother. Uh, we were 13, we came front of the uh, Alios Brunner, seven went to the right, and oh, six of us, which was my grandmother, my aunt, one of my cousins, my mother, my brother, and myself, to the left. And at the time, we knew exactly, not Again, I didn't know, mm. I, I wasn't told, but the adult among us knew exactly what that meant. The people on the left, old people, children, mother, they were destined for the gas chamber. The seven that went to the other side, uh, they had a chance to survive. Uh, they would be working and mm. maybe they will be lucky. But as it happened, I think one aunt went to Sachsenhausen and six to Buchenwald. Buchenwald was a slave labor camp. Mm. The inmate works in a stone quarry in freezing cold. Mm. This was November, December, January, with very little food, 12 hour a day shift, uh, disease. The life expectancy in Buchenwald was between two to three months. So unfortunately, out of the seven, only one person survived. Mm. It was my cousin, he was 15 years old. Mm. I remember when my aunt uh, was separated from her husband, she had no time to kiss him goodbye or anything. He went to one side, she came to other side. We waved to our uncle and thing. When it's all over, we will mm. be reunited. That was the last time we saw them. But we went to Belgen-Belsen, mm. and we were destined to go to Auschwitz. That's for the mother, mm. children, and old people I from Slovakia man. went straight to yeah. uh, Auschwitz. But as it happened, the 
Gaschenberg in Auschwitz were blown up by the German on the 7th of November 1944. We were actually on the train. And at the time, we were traveling seven days because they didn't know what to do with us. Yeah. There was no point to take us to Auschwitz because there were no more grass mm -hmm. chamber. So we were diverted to Bergen-Belsen. Mm -hmm. This was the first transport from Slovakia that didn't go to Auschwitz with children and old people. Mm. If I was arrested a weeks earlier, I wouldn't be speaking to mm. you here. So, miracle. Mm. You can't call it anything yeah. else. You know, you're talking about the, what they portrayed it, it was like for people. What was it really like? So when you did get to Bergen-Belsen, well, the only only way to describe it when we come to Bergen-Belsen, it was hell on earth. It's very difficult for an ordinary person mm. to understand. When you come out the next morning, I remember we were exhausted and everything, and as we were going to the uh, to Belgian Belgium, we were marching for two and a half hours, and suddenly, after two and a half hours, we see this chimney with glow coming out. My mother and all the adults thought, That's it, this is mm. the last minute, last mm. hour that we're walking on this earth. She, we, she was sure that we, we didn't know, and I only remember that my mother squeezed my brother and myself to the body. It was so distinct because what must have gone in her head mm. at the thing when she saw this glow coming mm. from the chimney, but in fact. Uh, Belgian Belsen was not extermination camp. It was a detention camp. But people were dying there for starvation, mm. disease, cold. Uh, their conditions were unbearable. It, it was one of the worst camps in the Second World War. It was absolute hell. I met a, a witness that uh, stood at a trial in Belgian Belsen after the war and she get testimony. She was in Auschwitz and she was brought to Bergen-Belsen. And I asked her what it was like coming from Auschwitz to Bergen-Belsen. He said, well, Auschwitz was an extermination camp. Mm -hmm. Well over a million people died there. We knew what was happening. We had enough food. We, we were fed. We were working. It was bearable. Who survived was bearable. But when we come to Belgian Belsen, it was hell on earth. Because Belgian Belsen was detention camp, yet people were dying mm. from starvation, disease, mm. a cold. Uh, our intake of food was uh, a little over 600 calories. I mean, we live adult today on 2,500 yeah. to 3,500 mm. calories. We mm. ate only 600 calories. That's not sufficient mm. to sustain yeah. you alive. And this is why when you see archive film and you see all these skeletons, that's why they were skeleton because mm -hmm. we were starving. First of all, when you come there and you have a food was two slices of bread and coffee in the morning. On lunch, we got turnips. They were cut to little square and boiled in water. And in the evening, two slices of bread and coffee again. That was 
the menu every mm. day. Mm. There was no change mm. in the menu. And you had to live in it. So when you come, first you become hungry, and after hunger come the starvation. When you're starving, mm. the body eats itself from inside till you're getting skinnier and skinnier. Then you become like a skeleton. But when I say skeleton, you can see every bone. It's only skin and bone. Mm. And uh, you, you, you eventually die. Over 70,000 people perished in Belgian Belsen. And we lost our grandmother, mm. the tragedy which happened on the 7th of March, 1945. One morning, I remember, uh, I saw my mother and my aunt, they were crying, and I said, why are you crying? And they said, my grandmother died. I mean, we sat there, this Zonderkommando, which is the special commando, these were men that come from the men camp with the cart, with two wheels, and they would come in and they would pick up the dead bodies that mm. usually went uh, to the uh, crematoria and be, being... Um, so the crematoria was there to burn the dead body mm. for the obvious reason. The German thought from the beginning they will win the war. So... After the war, they can say nobody died in Belgian Belgium because there was no, no graves or graveyard. Mm. They burned the body. But eventually, so many people were dying that the crematoria couldn't cope. The bodies were thrown all around. As children, we used to play among the dead corpses. These corpses were decomposing and rotting away. But that was our area. Mm kids we had to go out mm. we played hide and seek we didn't hide behind trees and wall we hid behind dead corpses mm. now i can't describe what we saw front of us these corpses were decomposing and rotting away mm. so it was on the 7th of uh, march that this uh, Zonder commando come to our room. They picked my grandmother, they stripped her, so uh, she was oh. just like a little baby, just mm. skin and bone. The skin was just hung from her. And one picked her by her leg, one by hand. She was thrown onto oh. the uh, cart, mm. uh, wheeled outside, and thrown on the pile of corpses. Imagine my grandmother. Uh, she told me stories. She baked the best mm. cake for me. And I'm sitting there as a kid. I was nearly 10. And uh, all this played front of me. And I, of course, will take this memory with me. Mm. When okay. I'm gone, I never will forget no. it. When you see people dying on a lot of people we've talked to on this podcast, they might have lost one or two. Mm. I think it's two at most family members. And you can't compute that. That's hard mm. to compute. When you see death and murder, actually, on such a wide scale, how does that change how you grieve? Are you angry? Do you become numb to the grief? It would be more or less... Uh, I mean, I'm very emotional, you yeah. know, when something... Look, lately, <sighs> gay burn went, yeah. and you know... A tear yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I know him so I met him yeah. and I had beautiful picture with him, and uh, so 
they motion will come even if it was a stranger yeah. that he contributed so mm. much to to our well-being here in Ireland and I used to watch his programs and eventually I met him uh, so I can't say I'm numb to it you mm. know but um, it is the emotion it's even other thing would bring me to tears when I see people suffering so much mm. you know when you see families even though in america which is a prosperous country and everything and when you see these fires in california uh, and the woman would stand and uh, front of her house is gone mm. it might have cost million but it doesn't mean anything and and she's in tears and it touches you feel me. Oh, it, yeah. You know, it's imagine how lucky we are that that we don't even realize no. this. These people had life and thing, and in one instance, all is gone. They haven't yeah. got even a photograph mm, of yeah. their family. Yeah. It's all gone. It took you a long time to talk about this. You haven't talked about this as you went along for your whole life. Yeah, yeah. It took you a long time to decide that yeah, this was something. Yeah. How do you feel now that you are able to talk about it and get it out there to so many more people? Well, I didn't I didn't speak about it for 55 years. Uh, my wife died in 2003. She, she had a cancer. And she died not knowing wow. what happened to me. I never told her. I never told my children. And they found out from newspaper and from the books that I wow. I, I wrote. I still uh, didn't take them and sat them and told them what I meant. They probably will hear this interview. And this is how they learned about what happened to me. So I just couldn't speak about it. But eventually I come to the realization that I owe it to the victims. I lost mm. 35 members of my family. I owe it to the victims that their memory is not forgotten. And also, I'm one of the last witnesses uh, to this horrific mm. event. We have people today that trying to deny that the Holocaust didn't yeah. exist. Mm. The Holocaust did exist. I was there. Mm. I went through with it, and that's why I'm when I'm speaking and I have the opportunity like now to say it, Holocaust did happen. That's all lies. All these people that are trying to say it didn't happen. I saw thousands and thousands of bodies lying around and I played among these corpses. It did happen. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's why I, I have to speak till I can speak I will so uh, even though I didn't speak for 55 years now they can't mm. stop me thank you so much for joining thank us thank you deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.